Hi, my name is Yara and I'm the host of Life After Birth. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wajak Noongar people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. I send my respects and reverence to Wajak Noongar elders, past, present and emerging. On this podcast, we share stories and wisdom about the ups and downs of our mothering experiences, much like the First Nations people of Australia have done so through their storytelling for over 60,000 years. Through their oral traditions, the Wajak Noongar people have supported and celebrated one another and have passed down knowledge, values and lessons, providing a testament of the power and significance of sharing our own stories. In honouring them, we recognise the importance of storytelling in understanding our past, navigating our present and shaping our future. My hope is that this podcast carries this spirit forward in our conversations, acknowledging that while our stories may differ, they all hold value and contribute to our shared human experience. Hey Mama, I'm Yara Heary and this is Life After Birth. This is where you can find honest and vulnerable conversations that lift the veil on how mothers really experience life after birth. Join me as I talk to the experts in the parenting space, but not as you've heard them before. These conversations explore the common humanity in all our lived experiences as mothers, so that you're left feeling seen, heard, validated, and bolstered in your ability to weather your mothering storms. Hey everyone and welcome back. It is so wonderful to be here with you and I'm so excited to be talking to the guest that I have on today's show. I've got Kelly Wright and Kelly isn't just a guest today. She is also a new therapist that has come on board with Life After Birth. She came on board and has started seeing clients with me since the end of December in 2023 And it is such a beautiful thing to have somebody else in the business because obviously we can serve more women with wherever they're at in their mothering journey, but also just because I don't have to feel as alone. It was such a beautifully organic experience in finding Kelly. I had put out a number of times looking for people and all sorts of things had happened. Either I didn't quite find the right fit or I just actually wasn't in the right time to actually bring on another practitioner. And her and I just sort of stayed in contact and just very organically, it just, the right time just happened. (laughs) And she is just the most lovely person, so aligned in terms of the way that she works with clients, so aligned in so many different ways. So I'm really, really glad to have her in Life After Birth, but also to be having her here on the show so that we can all hear a bit more about her experience and anyone who's out there and who's maybe seen that she has joined Life After Birth can get a bit of a sense of who she is and where she's come from and what some of her experience has been. So Kelly does offer one-on-one therapy sessions with us and she has a really rich background actually. So she's trained in, in social work and has also done additional training in things like attachment theory, nutrition, internal family systems, polyvagal therapy. There are so many things that she has kind of got under her belt. So I'm really excited to hear actually, even for myself, more about the experiences that she has had along her mothering journey. So welcome, Kelly. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you. And what a wonderful welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All true. It's just, yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Doing online business, doing therapeutic work as a therapist can be such a lonely, isolating kind of existence. <laughs> so it really is just so beautiful to be growing 
that community for me and obviously because it means more women are getting the support they need. So, yeah, it's so great to have you here. (laughs) So, Kelly, before we dive into your kind of journey that you've been on, I guess, in your experience of mothering, I'd love to know a little bit about what your family looks like so people can know a bit about who you are. What does your family look like right now? Number of kids, ages, who's around, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So I have been married for almost 10 years. My partner is from Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. So that brings some beautiful kind of diversity into the home and some really good food. That's definitely why I've kept him around. And then (laughs) I've got my little guy, Julian, who's three and a half, and he's our only child. Mm. which as I talk more today, you will, I'm sure many people will relate to why that has been the case. Mm-hmm. And I have a really small family network, so it's just my parents who I've actually moved up to be closer to just to get a little bit of extra support. And then I've got a brother who's married and then he's his little one. So the rest of the family is overseas. So we've got quite a small little unit. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, and I guess as we will probably hear, good things about that (laughs) and sometimes some challenging things about having a small little unit. Yeah. So the question that I always ask everyone at the beginning of these conversations is who is Kelly Wright and where have you come from? So tell us a little bit about your background so that we can get a bit of a sense of, you know, the things that have shaped you to be who you are in this moment. I love this question and I always love hearing the responses to this question. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to not focus on the professional side because I think that it's really easy to fall into identifying or over-identifying with that side of ourselves. So I can get a little bit dreamy when I think about who I was before I had Julian. I was was travelling the world. I was dancing around the world. I was a circus performer. I mean, yes, I had a job and I was responsible and all of that, but there was definitely an element of freedom. But I'd worked really hard to get that freedom. So my earlier kind of life experiences were much more intense and I spent a lot of my 20s struggling with anxiety and OCD and eating disorders and having a lot of really intensive treatment. And so my 20s was really far from free. It was it was quite dark. And then towards the end of my 20s, I started to really find some stability and I met my partner and we started just having a really great time. And the circus was a huge part of my healing along with the therapeutic work. So I feel like I really got to kind of have my moment and and enjoy that. Wow. Then along came Julian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what was what was that process like in terms of when you say along came Julian? Do you remember that being an intentional thing in terms of like having that in your plan and moving towards that reality? How did that kind of come about? How did mothering come into your world? <laughs> I will be really transparent here and say that on my first date with my husband, I made it very clear to him that I was not going to be having children and if that was part of his plan then that was okay, but this wasn't probably going to be the right fit. He accepted that and then chipped away over the next seven years. <laughs> Just <laughs> subtle kind of references to, oh, I wonder if our little one would have curly hair and I want, you know, just yes. those sort of things. And I just found something definitely shifted. I was absolutely sure I would never have children. I worked a lot in the out-of-home care space and I had always, I still do dream of being a foster parent. So that was always my intention. And then eventually we came to an agreement that we would try and have a biological child. And then from then 
we would focus on fostering and that's still where we've landed now. But the journey to conceive was really challenging. So it took us around 18 months. We did have some loss along the way. And I think all of those beliefs that I had around you start trying and you fall pregnant and you have a baby, it, it wasn't quite like that. But it definitely built up my certainty that that was something that I had come to a point in my life where I really wanted and it was really, really important to me. So, yeah. Yeah. So what were, I'm very curious, what were some of the reasons that led you to that place initially of, of feeling that you didn't want to have children? I'm interested in that and I'm interested in how that changed, especially in that time during your attempts to conceive. You know, when you talk about that, that knowing that you did want to have a child solidifying, I'm interested in that journey. Hey mamas, it's Yara here from Life After Birth Psychology. I want to talk to you about something that many mothers carry a lot of shame about, and that's anger. Have you ever found yourself thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I so angry? Or why can't I just stay calm? Well, I want you to know that you're not alone. So many mothers quietly worry about their anger. But did you know that your anger carries messages that can unlock a more regulated and fulfilling experience for you as a mother? To support you in changing your relationship with anger, I have created a self-paced online workshop designed to help you understand your anger and learn to process and express it in more adaptive and healthy ways. Within the workshop, you'll explore the role of your nervous system, the hidden messages in your emotions, and even how your past influences how you respond to challenge and stress today. But the best part, you'll gain practical tools that'll help you gracefully steer through those intense moments, all while deepening the heartfelt connections you cherish with your children and loved ones. Ready to get started? All you have to do is head to lifeafterbirthpsychology.podia.com, scroll down and click on my Why Am I So Angry workshop. You can also check out the link in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, that's a big journey right there. So I, I definitely think that I had this inner dialogue around I, I didn't trust my stability, my mental resilience. I had been labelled for so long as being unwell, unstable, not able to cope with things. And it took me a long while to create a different narrative around that and to realise actually the things that I overcame required great strength and great resilience. And I definitely had a fear about having worked with families. I've worked with families since I was 17. So I know the upheaval that can come with having a child. And I definitely questioned my ability to cope with that when my world had been really characterized by structure and routine and systems. And that was my way of keeping myself safe. So yeah. my concern about will I be able to cope in the face of all the chaos that comes with having a child, I think it just felt safer to go, that's not part of my journey. And also I was told by um, many doctors throughout my eating disorder that I wouldn't likely be able to fall pregnant because I developed osteoporosis from it. There was, yeah, I, I wasn't menstruating for like a decade. So I think I never allowed myself to even believe that it was a possibility. It was better to shut the door and keep yeah. myself safe. So, yeah. And, you know, in some ways, you know, how protective that was and the fact that you were having the kind of internal conversations that do need to be had in terms of like, what is our capacity? you know, when we have children and even the awareness that there is chaos when children come along. Like I'm not sure that 
many people actually, you know, really get that or really even think about that. I think that a lot of people tend to focus on the more idealistic elements about being a parent. I mean, I certainly did. I really did, you know, and I I was the opposite of you. I was like, I could do this. Like, (laughs) I'm going to be great at this. You know, I need a nanny. (laughs) You know, and so I think it's wonderful that you were thinking about that. And I'm really encouraged, actually, as you were speaking about that, I'm thinking about the various clients I've seen over the years who've come to see me because they were getting to a point in their lives where they had previously said they were not going to have children, but now they were starting to think differently. And then so all of the the anxiety about the what ifs and those concerns that are similar to what you've mentioned there. So it's making me think about that. And I, every time I see a client like that, I think how wonderful it is actually that people are having this thought process and they are considering what some of their challenges have been so that you can make a really intentional decision about going into being a parent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think knowing, I think it was also intuitively knowing that I wasn't in the right relationship. So knowing if I have these vulnerabilities, do I have someone who's going to be my partner in this, who can balance me out and be resilient in the times that I can't be? And I think I just knew without recognizing it at the time that I wasn't in that relationship. And then in terms of what you asked me before about what changed over time, I do think a big part of that was meeting my who was to become my husband and just knowing that he was going to be, we were very aligned. Our values were very aligned. He's very family orientated. He's the income to my yang. You know, Mm. he can kind of balance me out. So I think that built up a little bit more confidence in going, okay, I feel held. And I think that then maybe together we could do this. And then a lot of, a lot of the work around that changing the narrative that I have of, shifting the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses to, you know, actually being signs of resilience and strength. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And so, you know, obviously initially you were concerned about the chaos and some of the challenges <laughs> that that might come with being a parent. What other kind of expectations do you think you went with into being a mother? And, you know, in terms of like what did you expect and what do you feel like you found when you actually arrived there? Yeah, so I should define what I thought the chaos would look like. Mm. I say I expected chaos. I had no idea how much chaos. <laughs> and I think that's a good thing because Julian wouldn't be here today if I had known. <laughs> but I think I had I had these ideas that, okay, the first few months will be a bit rough and we'll be a bit sleep deprived and we won't be able to do all of our usual things. We'll have to, you know, park some of our hobbies and interests. And But I'm a bit, I do overanalyze things a lot. So I definitely was, you know, thinking ahead to, well, how do you work and how do you have a career if you can't work school holidays and if I can only work nine to three eventually? And so a lot of those kind of more practical considerations were where I was at. I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I had was that from having worked in the trauma space for so long, I just thought, okay, so if you have a child and they experience trauma, here are some of the behaviours and here are some of the challenges that come with that. But when you have a child and you nurture them and they have a safe home and they have a secure attachment, then it looks this other way. Mm -hmm. So when I was then presented with a child who I loved and nurtured and came into a safe home, but he behaved like all of the children I worked with who had had significant trauma, that was really confusing for me. Mm, And that has taken me years to understand why am I doing all the things and none of it's working? And he yes. just screams and he, yeah. So that was the expectations versus reality were really, as much as I anticipated chaos and change, I could never have anticipated 
the degree to which that would happen. Mm, hard relate. <laughs> hard relate. Like, you know, I actually just, you know, this morning I was at the beach with my girlfriend and we were having this very similar conversation. You know, like my son is turning eight and and I was just like, sort of like the questions that were going through my head is like, am I a terrible mother? Have I somehow traumatized my child? Have I done this? Have I like, you know, and I think it's one of the things is that I think there is so much pressure on mothers to be perfect. And this idea that there's traumatized children and non-traumatized children, yeah. you know, like, and that's what you're talking about there, right? And these are the things that you do and everything should be perfect, right? Like everything will be fine. Your child will be a, you know, quote unquote, good child. <laughs> you will be a good mother, you know, this kind of thing. And it's just, it's just rubbish, isn't it? Because it's not black and white like that. We're talking about little humans who have big feelings and who have their own innate kind of personalities that they bring into this as well, right? Like there are so many layers, you know, in terms of understanding their behavior and in terms of understanding our own experiences as mothers as well. But yeah, we were having this exact same conversation. And sometimes I think, I wonder what my experience would be like as a mother if I didn't know the things I know if I didn't have the training because you you do have this tendency I think when you are a therapist in this space to look so deeply at like all the things yeah. <laughs> to really you know and I actually said to my friend I was like I just want to be blissfully ignorant <laughs> you know like I, I just want to not know things and of course that's not true of course I don't want to not know things but yeah, it's a real challenge, isn't it? And I think that one of the things that you're sort of tapping into there is also something I hear from all clients that I've worked with, my friends that are therapists and who are not, which is around this idea of like, I must not, I must not traumatize my child, whatever that means, right? So I must not cause my child to be, to experience pain in any way, right? Emotional pain or otherwise. And of course, we have this, you know, of course, we try and avoid that. But the reality is actually that our kids just do experience hardship and that is part of being alive and that's part of being a human. And it's more about the skills that we teach them in terms of how to manage their experience of hardship. And I may be getting a bit off track there, but I would love to hear more. <laughs> love, love, love to hear more about that. I'm just nodding, nodding, nodding. I couldn't agree more with everything you said. And I, I just, something that jumped out at me is the way that we, our immediate thought is, what have I done? Am I not Am I not doing enough? Am I doing a bad job? Am I a bad mum? And all of those things, like whatever that all means. And also the noise, because I know for me, all of the well-intentioned but unsolicited advice that comes your way and, and just the comments, like I'm quite a empathic person and I'm, I'm highly sensitive. So I notice the comments that are made. And even when it's just implicitly around, oh, well, maybe if you just stop doing this, he would settle or maybe you're spoiling him or maybe if you just let him try, like, all of that implies that it is my fault and I am doing of something course. wrong. Yeah. And and I also laughed at how you talked about being blissfully unaware and we say, I just want to know nothing for a minute. Meanwhile, we like scramble off to research and find some more information <laughs> that would help you explain <laughs> what's my cycle. 100%. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. So, so little Jules came into the world and he just did not want to be here from the beginning. I definitely attribute some of that to the fact that he wasn't ready to come out into the world and you know thanks to unwanted medical interventions and things like that I do you know I think I will always wonder if it played a part but I think he just he couldn't sleep he just screamed like for the first 18 months or so of his life he was just 
very, very unsettled. I don't think I got more than 45 minutes sleep at a time. Wow, so intense. And we just went everywhere. We saw all, we saw the specialists, we saw the GPs. I hired two sleep consultants, all that, you know, claimed to be attachment based and weren't. So then I went in my sleep deprived state and completed a attachment based infant sleep course for a year because I thought I'm going to figure this out. And I didn't at the end of the year. I still haven't figured it out. Yeah. And I just knew like that, that mum intuition was just shouting at me that. I know there's something wrong. I just don't know what it is. And I need to keep digging because the answer is going to be there. I just haven't found the right people. And unfortunately, it kind of spiraled for us and his health deteriorated and he developed some respiratory issues and some other issues. And But nothing was ever clear. So he didn't fit into any of the boxes. And that just was confusing everybody it's so because, hard, isn't it? well, he doesn't meet this checklist. So he's not, you know, he doesn't have autism. So he doesn't have, it was kind of that that process of everyone telling me that he didn't fit in any box. And then eventually I was fortunate enough to kind of stumble into the world of the functional testing and through a lot of trial and error, we eventually discovered that he did have some pretty significant kind of gut infections and imbalances. And what that was doing was ultimately putting his brain into the fight or flight response. So all those toxins kind of were just crossing his blood brain barrier and they were creating inflammation in his brain which has created, I mean, we've done a lot of work around it and the change has been huge, but his brain was developing with that inflammation, which means it has developed in a certain kind of way. So I think my journey has been hugely around allowing myself to grieve the motherhood journey that I didn't have and try to find a way to make peace with all the guilt that comes with not knowing enough soon enough. Yes. I don't know that you ever move beyond that, but you find a way to to be with it, I think is the best way I can explain it for now. Yeah. Kelly, I feel like you've touched on something that is so important that isn't talked about enough. I mean, there's so many different things that aren't talked about enough in terms of what it is like to experience being a mother and, and all the different things that we can grieve during this time, which really lasts forever, doesn't it? And I think, I mean, I so relate to what you're talking about that the question that was in my mind before you started talking about the grief was, I was thinking to myself, how have you been held during this time? You know, how have you managed to care for yourself and to tend to, you know, those, the vulnerable parts that show up throughout this, this journey? And I think that sounds so lovely, like what you're talking about, which it sounds lovely, but I also know because I'm in that space myself at the moment with, you know, challenging things that are happening in my relationship with my eldest in particular and and grieving what you don't have, what you thought it was going to be and it's not. And it's like it's beautiful to hold that space, but, my God, it's so hard as well, isn't it's it? Messy. It's messy. It's so messy and the depth of of kind of pain and of the dysregulation that you feel when you're in that space of holding that grief and also parenting. That's the other thing, right? Like it's not like, it's not like, you know, the parenting goes on hold and the big <laughs> feelings from your kids go on hold. It's like you're trying to deal and hold those and hold all of your own as well. And it's huge work, you know, really, really big, 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 massive work. Can you say more on that and what that's been like for you? Yeah, I would I would love to because I think I've often said that my healing in my 20s was so different. I was able to go into a hospital, stay there for a few months, focus completely on myself. The rest of the world didn't exist. 
the world was about me during those times and and healing just felt really really different and I think it's when you have a child who needs so much more from you but then you have so much less to give because you're dealing with your own process of this it's just that combination is so I think unique and it's so easy to keep putting your own process on the side and I definitely did that I dove headfirst into what I always do which is research learning studying figuring it out because that was on me and I didn't I wasn't being held in that mm. time I will be really honest and that's why I'm so passionate about providing the holding for people because yeah. it's it's essential and what I actually experienced during that time was a lot of being minimized being dismissed being told I need to just let it go it is what it is there isn't an answer you're looking for something that doesn't exist and it was almost a little bit of gaslighting happening around being made to feel like I was making something out of nothing and I was creating this situation when in actual fact, I wish so much that I'd had someone put their hand on my shoulder and say, follow your intuition, you've got this and you're going to figure it out. Instead, I felt like I was fighting the medical system. I felt like I was fighting my family system. I felt like I had to advocate everywhere I looked and that was so exhausting. And I really love that you kind of highlighted that we can make it sound really nice. Like, oh, and I grieved and I I made no, it's it was so much messier than that. And it was dark. And I had moments where I just crashed and burned. And my husband, I was fortunate enough that he at one point stopped work to step in and parent. I'd been the primary parent for two and a half years and I was shattered. Yeah. And I needed to step away and I needed to really look after myself and get back on my feet. And what that looked like for me was going back to work and having some separation from it. And fortunately, he's been phenomenal at stepping into those shoes. And I know that's not always an option for a lot of people. And I really recognize that. So we didn't have a lot of support around us, but the, the little bit of support we had, I definitely made the most of and worked really closely with a therapist. And I've tried pretty much every therapeutic modality <laughs> at this point. Yeah. And some of it, I think, is is time. Some mm, of it, I really do think, is totally, time. Yeah. That's actually, I'm so glad you raised that because I, more and more, that is a thing that I remind myself of. And I also see a therapist and I've tried lots of different modalities <laughs> also. And, you know, even over the last year, even right now, you know, we're going through big things at the moment in our family. And in the past, I think I would have had this like anxiety and this scrambling kind of energy about like I have to fix everything and I have to make everything okay and I need to get rid of the feeling like I need to I need to get back to a place where everything is just feeling very comfortable and stable right and it's just like it actually just doesn't exist anymore and it's not it doesn't mean that you don't like and this is the thing throughout all of this time I've had moments of intense joy and I've have fun and I'm silly and I'm still me I'm still it's just the same it's just that the breadth of experience emotional experience is so much wider now than I had probably experienced before and over time I think I've you know that idea of like it is just time it is just time and things do just find like I'm doing what I need to do but I I have faith in time will work it out you know like whether it's just that I need to sit in this for long enough whether I just need to have the right conversation randomly with someone that just makes me go oh I hadn't thought about that and you know like just give it give it the space and give yourself you know this is what I say to myself give yourself 
opportunities to just grieve. You know, like I know when I need it because I literally feel like I'm about to cry about everything. Like it's just like, okay, I need to call up my girlfriends and just do it. Just have that conversation that is going to bring it all up and just get it all out, you know. But yeah, it is so heavy. And I actually just wanted to mention this and I don't know whether this is something that you resonate with. I was listening to someone, I don't know if it was on a podcast. Oh no, I know what it was. I was listening to Maggie Smith's book. So she's this incredible poet from the US and she's got a book called We Could Make This Beautiful, I think is the name of the book. And it's kind of, it's a book about the disillusion of her marriage. She's got kids, she's a mother. But one of the things that she talks about in that is this experience of so much discomfort in the unraveling that was going on for her that she says, I didn't think about suicide, but I just, I thought about not existing. And I just wanted to raise that because I think that I think that talking about content like that is is probably not something I think that we've covered in any of my episodes so far. And I do think it's something that isn't covered, even though it's actually an experience that many women have. Mm. And many of the women that I have seen have had that experience and I've had that experience where you feel like you're at the absolute capacity of your ability to tolerate pain, emotional pain, that you just feel like I just want it all to stop. And that doesn't mean that people, there's a real difference as well for anyone listening. There's a difference between having that kind of thought and having a more developed kind of thinking around, you know, ending your life and and all of that sort of stuff. But I just wanted to raise that in case while anyone is listening, that they've had that experience and maybe have never heard somebody else say it. And I really want to, I want to normalize that. I also want to say that for anyone listening, if they've had that experience, that that is feedback coming from your system saying you need support. And so I want to make sure that although we are normalizing that these experiences happen, that it doesn't mean that it's just normal and so you have to deal with it. It means, yes, people have this experience because that's what happens when people are pushed to their limit. And you need support in order to find your way back, you know, and find balance. Standing ovation for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is where this conversation went with my friend today. And she actually said it first. And I was like, I felt that way too. I Mm -hmm. felt that way too. So I just thought hearing you speak, you know. mm. I love that you went there and it's something that I've had to teach my family about Mm. that it's okay when I say these things or it's okay when I feel this way and what it does mean and what it doesn't mean. Yeah. I feel really fortunate that my therapist didn't panic when I would come to her and say, you know, I can't see a way out and I can't, I feel like I can't keep doing this. And she didn't panic and go and make a mandatory report, you know? Yeah. Because she recognized that what I was saying was that I needed things to look different mm-hmm. and I needed hope that they could look different. Yeah. And I do make that really clear distinction around it's not that I didn't want to be here, but I didn't want to be here like this. Yes, totally get that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. It's really, it's a symptom of things need to be different. Things need to be different. And then that's when you need to have those conversations with whoever is in, you know, your life that is able to support in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And so as we're on this subject, I'm also thinking about your comment earlier on where you talked about Jules being your only child. So tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about because you did make a comment about, and we'll probably get onto that. So I just wanted to, as we're here in this part here where we're talking about that depth, I guess, that you've been to and you've experienced, and maybe, you know, this is the journey. We It's up and down, right? Like we go into that and then out of that. That's kind of what it's like. Tell us a little bit about that. And I'm curious about that because the question of increasing 
your family size is something that I actually get a lot in my clients. It's something that people ask me on social media about a lot. I have done an episode sort of briefly talking about some of the things that people, that I think people should consider when they're thinking about that in terms of do they have accessibility in their lives to ensure that their needs are met so that don't end up in that place that we've talked about on an ongoing basis. So I'm really interested to hear what that has been like for you and where that decision is from. Yeah. I would agree. I think that it's something that comes up really, really frequently with friends and with, with clients. And I want to acknowledge that for a lot of people, it is a really hard choice and they're really on the fence and it doesn't feel like a clear decision. So in many ways, I feel quite fortunate that for me, it's, it's simple. It's it's a definite no. And that is all about understanding my own capacity and understanding that I do not have enough left in the tank. If I was to face a similar mothering experience or even potentially something more, Mm. I don't have it. And I think having seen how dark things got at one point about a year and a half ago for me there was really no question left after that and the other thing is that for me Julian needs a lot from me and I feel so determined I mean our story is not finished we've still got work to do we will probably always have work to do and his little nervous system does not cope very well with other people yet He's slowly making some strides there. But yeah, I mean, thinking about that, that chaos of a newborn and I mean, he hasn't yet accepted the dog. So mm. <laughs> I just, so that's, I mean, my relationship, to be honest, I have a really wonderful relationship. I don't know that it could handle another child. I don't have the family support around. We don't have babysitting. We don't have a break from Julian at all. And because everything that's going on with him, there is no option for childcare. We tried childcare and he actually started to develop tics and really, really regress. So I think there's there's so many things that have gone into it to make it really clear for us. And it's it's interesting because in so many ways we have the capacity in terms of, you know, Jacob's able to stay at home at the moment. We, you know, if we wanted, we could maybe bring his mum out to look up. Like there are, I could make a list and there could be a lot of practical considerations that could fill some gaps, but the emotional ones, if I was to put weight into them, Mm. the emotional ones far outweigh it. And in terms of having my oxygen mask on, I just need to focus on the task at hand. Yeah. And I really hope that one day in the future, coming back to our original plan, I really hope that I will have the capacity again one day to give back in the sense of fostering, that is still a very, very strong passion for me. Um, But I know the time needs to be right for that as well. So at the moment, everything is on hold and all hands are on deck through this stage. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, if I can, I want to share a little bit of my experience as well. And it brings me back to a question I want to ask you. So, you know, I've got two kids at the moment. I hadn't planned to have my second child when I did because of the same reasons that you're talking about. I was just like, we are full, we're at capacity, my nervous system's at capacity, you know, my emotional stretchiness is at capacity. But, you know, we had a child at that time. I went and did about four or five months of therapy to sort of prepare myself for bringing another child into the world. And then once I'd sort of gotten through that, I was in a much better place, very happy to be having my little girl. And she's just amazing. She just lights up our family. Then 
The thing then is the thought about having another child, which I'm not going to have, but the decision to not have another child is again back to that same reasoning. Because now I have two and I have one child in particular who needs a lot emotionally and in terms of his regulation and all of that sort of thing. And one of the things that I have been journeying through over the last year, and especially now because my littlest has just gone into full-time school, is the grief that I have about that. And I have all sorts of different feelings. I also have feelings of kind of like frustration or, you know, anger. And the anger is around a, a sense of like, oh, you know, like, you know how we talked before about the journey that you thought you'd have and then the one that you do have and therefore the decisions you have to make as a result of that, right? So the decision not to have more children that I may have otherwise liked to have had because I just know that on every practical level there is nothing left to <laughs> to actually be able to stretch across across three, right? And so I'm curious, you know, I'm aware of that grief that I'm carrying and I'm kind of working through. I'm wondering for you, and this may not be your experience, but is that something that you have encountered on your journey? Mm, I did have a moment of that for sure. And it's funny, I had actually forgotten because it was, I think Julian would have been about one when we had a two-minute conversation of maybe we should, no, no. (laughs) But there was a moment where we started to realise because we were building this kind of granny flat out the back and we started to go, oh, wait, we could actually bring your mum, she could help, like maybe. And then I think that was the moment that we had the realisation, no, we've got our work cut out for us here and it would really stretch us to a breaking point. There was definitely some resentment, there was some grief, and I think... I'd truly forgotten about this process, but I think for me, I had to come back to remembering, I actually don't think I would ever lose that desire to have another baby. I think I could have 10 babies and I think there would still be part of me that would like to mother mm-hmm. another baby. Yeah. Because that process of, of meeting them and getting to know them and, I mean, even just the process of growing them, like all of it, it's just, it's kind of, it's just amazing. So I don't know that having another child would fulfill that anymore having one. And I realized for me, it was actually, I would like to go back and parent Julian again mm. and maybe have another experience of that. Yes. More totally so understand that. having another child to add to our family. So that differentiation for me was the key in me being able to put that aside and go, no, no, that's not, I, I don't actually want another child. Yeah. I'm just not quite finished with that experience that I had. Yes. Oh, wow. That's beautiful being able to, to see the roots of it all, right? Like where it's kind of coming from. Yeah. It's a big thing, isn't it? And I think, you know, for some people, I don't know if this is my experience, but also for some women, I imagine that what is tied up in all of that too is identity around what it means to be a woman as well. And for some people, the growing of babies and the birthing of babies and all of that is an identity related as well for them. So there's another sort of layer there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. That was really beautiful. That was really soothing for me to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I think as well, I am conscious that there can be mums listening who maybe have had a challenging first experience and hearing me talk about that so definitively that no, I wouldn't do it again because I'm at capacity. And they may have some of those doubts in their mind at that time. And I've definitely had friends in particular who have been on the fence and decided to have another one. 
and there's been some anxiety and some hesitation around that, but that's the choice that they've made and that's what they've connected with and they've gone on to have really beautiful and really healing experiences. And I've seen that unfold quite a few times now. It hasn't tempted me at all, but it really, I don't know, it it just makes me feel really warm, to be honest, to think that that's possible for people. And so I guess if there are people listening who are now freaking out going, oh gosh, what have I done? Yeah. I think that that having another child can have the potential to be such a beautifully healing experience as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's just that, you know, the thing to remember as well, whether it's on a podcast or social media or whatever, is that every journey is unique. And so your experience and my experience, though there may be similarities in them, they're different and Mm. they feel different. We experience them as differently. And so for other people, it's the same as well. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly, I'd love to know, what do you think have been your growth areas as you've been along this journey? You know, you've you've been through so much, right? And even before having kids, right? Like everyone has a story that's come with them even before that. So there's been growth, you know, we're always growing. That's just the nature of being alive. But what do you think has been your biggest kind of growth areas as you have been on this journey as a mother? Yeah. I think, I mean, surrender has to be at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And coming to peace, I'm not at peace with it. I'm not even going to say I'm at peace with it. <laughs> understanding that there will always be things coming at us Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter how much I try to bulletproof or how much I try to yeah do all the preventative thing to stop the next thing it's not it's not possible and leaning into even when I don't truly believe it but trying to lean into this idea that I have come through hard things I've done hard things and I'm constantly having to reshape that narrative from my early years that I don't handle hard things well and that's why I ended up unwell Mm -hmm. and I have to keep reminding myself I actually have done a lot of hard things and I can do them. Incredibly, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, growth, right? Like it's it's just like... It's very uncomfortable and it's always happening. And I think that's the beautiful thing. I'm curious to know what does that give you to have that understanding or to continue to remind you of that? What does that afford you? That shifts, it shifts helplessness, I think, into, into resilience, really. I think if you believe, if you can tap into what you are able to do and that belief in yourself, that you will find a way. Yeah. That is, for me, a huge part of where resilience comes from. And, I mean, they do say that children are our greatest teachers, and they absolutely are. I definitely think that we're given the children who will give us the lessons we need to learn. And in terms of having, you know, my beautifully structured world turned on its head, I needed to learn that. I didn't want to. I would still not have chosen to, Mm -hmm. but I can see that it has really shaped me and it has highlighted where some of my strengths are that perhaps I never gave myself credit for. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I have I have this, as you were saying that, I had this little joker part of me that was reminding me of what I was saying to myself last year, which was like, I've had enough of the lessons. <laughs> the lessons. Yeah. Yeah. I've had enough of the lessons. I've had enough. And, you know, and I sort of got to the end of, Last year, and I was like, you know, I took this big break off work and 
you know, had this, I don't know, I just do this to myself all the time, like have this idealistic idea of what it means to have a break and how I'm going to somehow become like some Zen mama or something because I've turned (laughs) off work and stuff. And I think, you know, and of course the lesson in all of that was like, don't, you you can't make assumptions like that. You know, kids are constantly evolving and changing just as you are, right? But yeah, I kind of finished 2023 and I was like, okay, I've, I've done a lot of lessons. I've done a lot of lessons over the last three years. And this is the year of just reaping the rewards of those lessons. And then 2024 started and all of a sudden we're back in lessons again. (laughs) And so so I'm just sort of like, as you were speaking that through, I was like, yeah, I get that. And I so agree with you. And I'm also have these moments where I'm like, I've actually universe enough. It's enough. I don't care about past karma or whatever's happened. I'm just like, you know. So, yeah, I think wanting to hold that for people too of, you know, hearing that and maybe having, you know, a part within them that is saying, yeah, I get it, and also a part that's going like, fuck, I've had enough of the lessons. But, yeah. I didn't want any of them. I really didn't want any of them. But we need to reframe these things and we need to see the growth that's come from them. and Totally. But that yeah. doesn't mean, yeah, let's make it clear to the universe. It doesn't mean that we're inviting more. Yeah, yeah. The quota's <laughs> full. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think like, you know, that thing where you take time to look at actually all the things you've overcome, I think that that is such an important practice as humans in general. And it's absolutely something that I use in the therapy space with my clients, whether that's obviously at the end of the time that we're spending together, but even from session to session, I will check in with clients and be like, you know, where are you now and compared to where you were, you know, a month ago, whatever. And I think it's really important because when we are in those hard times, it feels like we're at the bottom of a well and the walls are big and we can't see the light or any way out. And sometimes the light is actually seeing previous times that we've been in hardship and we have managed to overcome and knowing that we were able to tolerate that discomfort during that time can be what we need to to give us that extra burst of stamina to make it through whatever challenge it is that we're going through in the present time. So I really do encourage people if they're going through a hard time and they're listening to this is like, do spend some time thinking about the other hard things that you've overcome. And in particular, the one that I really pay attention to is how I thought that I couldn't get through it at those times as well. And yeah, so I I love that. Absolutely love that. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I want to ask you, you know, how has your mothering experience influenced what you do in your work and how you hold space and the way you feel about the work that you do? Mm. Ah, that's a big question too. Mm, <laughs> it is. In so many ways because I don't think that I was doing terrible work before I was a mother, but understanding where some of the gaps are and particularly around that sense of being held, mm. the the unraveling and the rebuilding that happens, I think until you experience it, it's just really, really hard to be right there with someone and having that intuitive sense of where their next step might be. I definitely have a much, I'll give you an example. This might help. Mm -hmm. I was recently working with a young person and I'm working with a young person and before I would have been connecting with that experience of almost imagining what that experience might be like for me to have the particular condition that they they had 
And instead I automatically go to, I wonder how his mum's managing this. She's not there with She's somewhere else. But I can't help but to connect with what's her experience of this, what's her experience of guilt and grief and all of that that's sitting within her and is she being held and who's around her at the moment. So I think that it's just that is kind of where I will always lean to now is mm. who's holding the mother. Yeah. Oh, goodness, that just gave me like goosebumps. <laughs> who's holding the mother and we all just, yeah, we just need, we need holding so deeply. One of the other things I talked about with my lovely friend today was how both of us found women's circles later on in life and I think she she talked about it in terms of like it, it was not even just about what she gets out of it but what others get out of it and it's reminded me of this conversation that we're having now in terms of like holding the mother and just women being seen and heard and and held during whatever their experience is. It also makes me think of, you know, before I became a mother, when I worked with women who were mothers and they brought up content that was around their mothering and how they felt about it, I remember how uncomfortable I used to feel about that and how out of depth I would feel. And I think that one of the things that that makes me aware of is how deeply ingrained all the motherhood myths were in my mind at that time as well, like in terms of like the ideology around a perfect mother and, you know, a mother who doesn't shout and a mother who's (laughs) in control and who's calm and all of that sort of stuff. So whenever that content would, would come up in a session, you know, back in my earlier days of when I first sort of finished studying and it was didn't fit in with that, how deeply uncomfortable I was with it and how panicky I would become by that information. Whereas now it's just like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. There's just so much more frame of reference, isn't there? And But also deeply understand, and this maybe comes back to my own experience of just needing to be seen in the difficulty as well, that sometimes it's not even about, you know, a, a special technique or a modality or a skill or anything like that. It's just like they just need to be held. Mm-hmm. They just need to be held and they just need to have a space that feels free of judgment where they can share honestly and vulnerably and fully what their lived experience is of being a mother. Absolutely. And I think that is the one area that my practice has completely transformed is I think there is often a focus on wrapping around the children. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. getting the children the supports that they need. And that's absolutely valid. And there is a time and a place for that. But I think when we can wrap around the mother and we can give her the help her build her capacity and help her. And sometimes that is just actually normalizing the rage and normalizing the overwhelm. And then also looking at how do we now get you more supported? Because by doing that, the child needs less of those supports because they've got them there. So I think I've completely done a 360 with this and it's a way with this yeah yep and yep so my focus is absolutely on how do we wrap around the mother rather than how do we outsource these therapeutic processes for the children yes i love that yes you know the mother is the well right like that that all of the thing everything springs from and it you know not on her own i mean obviously like it's the relationship as well that she's in if she is in a relationship how is that you know, traveling, is that healthy? You know, are both people supported? It's all of that. But I think just the idea that rather than, yes, trying to put in 
all this scaffolding around children, which sometimes they do just need anyway, especially when it comes to like learning difficulties and things Mm -hmm. like that. But often it's about how do we sustain the parents? How do we sustain the mother so that they have capacity to do the holding that's required for their children? Yeah you know, to get the best outcomes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I so agree. Kelly, what would you most like to impart on mothers who are listening today? That it's okay when things don't go to plan and it's okay to have grief around what it may have been like or what you wished it may have been like. And I think Above all else, we need to find a way to turn down the noise around parenting, around mothering, and find a way to allow that intuition that we all have to come through. And I find a lot of mothers that I work with, they find it, they find that again, but it takes a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then we sit in that space of thinking back and going, oh, why couldn't I wish I could have done that sooner? Yeah. So knowing it's okay to be a bit of a trailblazer and do things differently and that there is really no right way. As you said before, everyone's journey is going to look different and messy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think coming back to connect with your intuition and with your values and what's really important to you, I think that's that's the key. That's where it's at. I love that. I love that. I love that. And I, one of the things that I was thinking about that is, is, you know, when you talked about that women get there eventually, mothers get there eventually, but it takes some time to get there. And I immediately was just thinking about the suffering that Mm -hmm. we're experiencing during that time. And this is also why I always say to people like, you know, if you want to seek help, right? Like if life is feeling hard, you don't need to be clinically diagnosed. You don't need to have postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or like, you know, because I often think that people think of someone who needs help maybe from a therapist as being like extreme. Mm. And in the meantime, they go through all this time suffering because they think that that they're not that person or that that that, that whatever they're going through isn't enough to warrant support. And so one of the things that I would love to add to that is just if you are listening to this, knowing that things feel hard and you feel lost and cast adrift and, you know, wondering, you know, even sometimes feeling like, am I going crazy? Like, you know, in terms of what this experience is like for me is just get help, get help as soon as you can. And the help can look different. It doesn't mean you go to therapy. It can be that you just, you attend a circle of women so that you get you know, your experience is normalized. Just that is enough, you know, like maybe it's just that you you be brave and you say the hard things amongst your other friends who are mothers as well. Sometimes it just takes that one person to have that vulnerability and that bravery to open up everybody else, right? But yeah, just get the support as soon as you can. So you don't have to be sitting in that, in the pain for as long as we often do before we do get that help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I just say, I just want to highlight that part about if you're able to be the one who speaks up and says, hey, this is really hard, mm. because I really think that can be a game changer in some of those communications with other mums. We give permission when we can be vulnerable and we can share our heart. It gives someone else permission to do the same. And I think that's where 
that's where change really can happen. Mm. Yeah, and it's a gift, isn't it, right? Like, I mean, mm. we're obviously getting hurt and all of the rest of it, but we're gifting the possibility of that for everybody else who's in that experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's been such a beautiful conversation. I feel like I've learned <laughs> so much about you too, little kindred spirits. So thank you. And I would love to, because I always do this, just ask you a couple of rapid fire questions <laughs> that give us a bit of an idea of who you are outside maybe of the parenting therapist space. So I'd love to know what are you listening to at the moment in your life? So that could be music or podcasts. What's in your ears? Okay, so here is insight into my into my brain. I listen to many things at once. So there'll be an audio book, there'll be mm-hmm. a Spotify playlist, there'll be a podcast, there'll be all of it going on. So at the moment I'm actually listening to an internal family systems audio book. Oh, beautiful. Love it. For my playlist, I'm off to John Butler Trio on the weekend with my little oh, My son would be so jealous. He's obsessed oh, with John Butler at the moment. <laughs> my first, my first like idol my first music idol oh, so I've wow. forever so we're off there so that's on the playlist yeah yeah and then do you know what your your podcast the the one on grief mm. is actually one I tap back into regularly when I need oh. to have that big cry so that's oh that's beautiful yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly why I created it because I was in that space at the time yeah. <laughs> so yeah oh that's so beautiful thank you and what is the last tv show you binged and if you don't have a TV show, you can tell me the last movie you watched. Okay, so I don't do – I'm a weirdo. I don't do TV. I don't do <laughs> – I do books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you actually. Like I just don't – I don't often have that much time to sit and watch it. I do love watching TVs and binging TV shows, but I just don't get time. So audiobooks are my thing at the moment. That's I live in the land of audiobooks. That's what happens to me. Yeah, I just can't stay focused. So mm. anytime I put a movie on, if I try to, I find myself picking up a book and reading it with the movie on in the background. So <laughs> I just watch <laughs> attending. <laughs> oh, I love it. Multitasking all the way. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> and what is the most influential book that you've read? Oh, gosh. You know what? It's actually maybe a little bit of a random one. Mm. And I hope I'm going to get the title right. But it was Sarah Wilson's first We Make the Beast Beautiful, I think is the Mm. name of it. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about normalising anxiety and normalising feeling like a bit of an outcast or a bit of a weirdo your whole life, I think does a brilliant job of going, yeah, you're not alone. All those quirks, there's others out there. Oh, beautiful. I haven't read her book. Okay, I have to check it out. Yeah. Add it to the list. Yeah, the the list. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like it's exponential. It's just going mad. I'm so grateful for audiobooks because I feel like, you know, especially over this period of the school holidays, it's kept me sane. Like I've, mm. and I purposely didn't read any like therapy related books. I've only been reading like memoirs or fiction. And it's been so beautiful being immersed in the worlds of other people for this period of time. It's just amazing. I'm just, I'm in absolute awe at just writers and the way that they're able to create these worlds that feel so real, like you could really touch them. So I'm, yeah, super grateful for that. Super thank you, Audible. I love you. (laughs) Not sponsored, but come and sponsor me if you want. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, thank you so very, very much for having this chat with me. I am going to share some of your info in the show notes. So if people want to find out a bit more about you, they can go there. And if they want to book in to see you, they can also find the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks so much for joining me, Mama. If you enjoyed this episode, I would just love for you to leave me a review and follow or subscribe to be notified when the next episode drops. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me over at Instagram where my handle is at lifeafterbirthpsychology and you can find out more about how I can support you on your mothering journey at my website www.lifeafterbirth.com.au. See you back here soon for our next chat.